Okay, welcome back, my friends, to Influencers Cafe. I've been very busy in London, hence the uh, lack of episodes over the last two weeks, but I'm very honoured to have the policy liaison of the family leader on the show, Daniel Sonny. Oh, thank you, Nikos. It's good to be here. How long have you been uh, part of that organisation? I've been with the family leader a little over three years now. Uh, I actually did two years in a church network there before moving to a policy role a little over a year ago now. Kuan, can you just like fill us in what the family leader is? Yeah, the family leader is a Christian nonprofit. We're, we office in Iowa. Um, we advocate for um, Christian policy. We also um, play some role in elections. And we have a uh, church network that works with pastors trying to minister to elected officials, trying to um, help them with spiritual needs while they're at the Capitol. Um, in Iowa, legislators leave their their families basically for about a week at a time, or three or four days at a time while they're at the Capitol. And so we have a, a pastors network also that um, works with them and tries to minister to them spiritually. In my role, I work with our policy team. And I do mostly policy research, trying to determine what policies are, are best to, to advance our objectives and um, prepare for those debates. Okay, so I guess a lot of my listeners are familiar with UK politics, but probably not so much with the US ones. So am I right in believing that a capital building is like the House of Parliament that each state has? Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, so the Iowa Capitol building is is like the House of Parliament. We have the um, in Iowa we have two two houses of Parliament. We're bicameral like like the UK is. Uh, we have a Senate and a House of Representatives. They both meet in the Iowa Capitol building. Cool. And is is, is does the governor stay there, work there normally? The governor has a formal office there. Um, I, right. you know, I right. think it depends on the governor how often they they use that formal office. But I, I believe the governor is in the capital most days. Right. And what about the senators? Do they use the capital building for much? Yes. Yep. Yep. Both the senators and the house. So Iowa has a shorter session. So every state in the United States does it differently. Um, Iowa has a short session. It runs from January until either May or April, depending on the year. Um, And for those uh, four or five months, legislators are there three to four days a week. Uh, Well, three to five days a week. And they debate policy, and they're on a a pretty short timeline to actually pass laws. Um, So, yeah, every legislators with some exceptions there's you know people get sick people have emergencies um in iowa legislators have other jobs so sometimes they get called away but for the most part you expect every senator and every representative to be at the iowa capitol three days a week from january until uh may so what what is the equivalent of like an mp in in the in the state versus yeah yeah so uh, a an MP would be both our representatives and our senators are elected by the people. Um, right. The difference is our representatives are elected every two years, and there's more of them, so fewer 
so each representative represents fewer people, fewer Iowans. Um, so the idea is that a representative is more reflective of kind of trend, uh, current trends. So if all the Iowans get really mad um, at the government, then you expect the House of Representatives to change quickly. The Iowa Senate, um, senators serve four years, so they don't campaign as much, and there's fewer senators, so they represent fewer Iowans. Or, I'm sorry, they, there's fewer senators, so they represent more Iowans. So the senators are kind of um, supposed to, the Senate is supposed to be a little less um, changeable. It's supposed to reflect the people a little less than the House of Representatives. Or, or the, reflect people's trends, popular trends, a little less. Okay. So this system, was it like all designed at the Constitution level? This like split between the government the senators and the, and the governors and you know federal and and yeah so Iowa um, was founded in uh, 1840 oh uh oh 1846 or 1848 <laughs> you'll have to look it up um, but uh, we're based pretty heavily on the US Constitution clearly so the the system that that we use was in you know, I don't pioneered by the United States government, where you have a House of Representatives where every representative rota is up for re-election every two years. And then in the U.S. Senate, um, there's a lot fewer senators. There's 100 senators and 435 representatives in the U.S. at the, at the federal um, Congress. Um, so the senators represent uh, a lot a lot more people and they have six-year terms so they don't campaign as much as representatives do so a, a okay. an MP is a little more reflective of, of a representative probably or at the federal level we call them congressmen congressmen and congress people con congressmen and congresswomen um, but both of our senators and our representatives uh, are elected by the people Mm -hmm. So most of the world, it's a sort of unitary government where you have like the government has complete control, but America has a sort of federal system. Um, I'm trying to think what other countries have that same system. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the United States of Europe at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I think, a, I think I'll, I'll, when you go. When you go? Well, you know, I mean, our federal system has a lot of influence, of course, from um, from England. You know, and we the federal system's a little different, but um, we have a lot of a lot of our local level districts are are modeled after British regions, and it's a little beyond me. But I, my knowledge of British politics isn't great. But you know, we have counties and and sheriffs and you know common law and so what is it about the the family leader that attracts you i mean it's, it's quite an influential organization yeah i think that's a that's a deep question a good question 
Um, I would say some of the things that keep me here are a, a really good staff, people that are really um, uh, encouraging and humble and uh, just really good to work with and learn from. Um, the mission is um, is good. It's a it's we're an organization where we're the largest pro life organization in the state. Um, so in in American politics, uh, that means we oppose abortion. Um, we. Um, have advocated for some, um, I think, really, we've advocated for some really good consumer protection laws on in regards to usury, uh, particularly we've we've been a bulwark against um, increased payday lending, which is increased predatory lending um, in the state. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're a, a uh, pro-marriage organization. Um, we support one man, one woman marriage. Um, and those are, those are things I agree with and and um, that I think people need to fight for. Um, but it's also, uh, state politics is, is a lot of fun. It's a little more, in my experience, especially in Iowa, it's a little more casual. Um, but it's where it's easier to have an impact and it's, it's easier to talk with real people. You know, um, you, know you can be friends with your political opponents. You can get to know uh, people on a personal basis. And, you know, I, I love my state and I enjoy um, pursuing truth in in politics. So you guys must have been really busy the last four days or the, or the last week because these uh, caucuses, yeah? Well, yes and no. So, yes, we've been busy. Um, the, uh, so the caucuses primarily were, um, democratic politics, uh, the democratic party. So there were, so in America and in Iowa, there are mainly two political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, um, we're nonpartisan, but historically we are much more active um, within Republican politics than Democratic politics, uh, that's where we have we have more influence and more friends. And so, in an election where the Republican uh, outcome was pretty well determined <laughs> a long time ago, uh, there wasn't there's wasn't a whole lot to do. Um, so, the Democratic caucuses were, if we'd been involved in those, that would have been. Uh, very intense, <laughs> but we were we were not. So does the Republican Party have an equivalent thing? Well, yes. So the the difference is um, that so they both happened at the same time on the same day. So there's there's an agreement between political parties. Um, it doesn't have to be this way, but that's the way it's been for I don't know fifty sixty years. That they will hold their primaries. So to, to choose their top elected official. So, so, so Republicans decide, both parties, Republicans and Democrats decide who their nominee for president will be through a primary system. So all the right. people, members of the party vote and decide who their top guy is. Right. Um, so the political parties, Republicans and Democrats, have an agreement 
to hold those primaries, to hold those votes on the same days at the same places mostly. Um, so on Monday night, the Republicans and the Democrats held meetings to in Iowa to decide who Iowa Iowans from each political party thought should be their nominee. For the Republican right. Party, because Donald Trump is president and he's a Republican, it would be extremely it, it would have been extremely unusual for a the Republican Party to nominate someone else when they have a Republican who is president. Um, and that did not happen and it was not expected to happen. So Trump easily won the Iowa Republican primary. Um, and then, so all of the energy and focus that you've been hearing about was about the Democratic primary, the Democratic caucus. Right, right. Man, it, sh it shows you how much uh, I lack in my American education of <laughs> politics there. Oh, it's it's complicated stuff, you know, and you learn more, you, you learn more every time you do it. So, um, yeah. You can't just casually pick up this stuff from watching you think i think a lot of us brits or i mean i'll speak for myself a lot of us brits who watch the news we hear this talk about the senate and this governor and house of representatives and we just slaps it sort of washes over our head and then we <laughs> never actually dig deep into it when you start thinking about it, you think it's almost like you have to study a course to understand all this stuff you know hmm, sure yeah so governors yeah because you guys well so how does um i'm i'm ignorant of british politics so because scotland has a parliament right yeah. yeah, and they pass laws for Scotland. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a devolved, it's, it's devolution. So what that is is that the, the main government here in England gives Scotland devolved powers or powers that the government here gives them. Okay, and they can sort of revoke those powers at any time in a sense. Oh, okay. Although it would be very popular, and that could probably risk another referendum. Sure, but um, it's like it's something that can be, it is possible to, to take it away. Whereas in, in the federal system, that you'll always have that uh, system, you know, where equal equal rank between the the state and and the and the um, the federal government. Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. I mean, in in practice, well, yeah, I don't know. So there are the federal government can put limits on state government, not necessarily. There's debate over how constitutional some of it is, but in practice, the federal government can make laws that limit some state powers. Um, but generally, yeah, the state and the federal government do different things. I guess the, the president has military authority over the states. Yeah. Now, yeah. states... Or maybe... Yeah, the the federal government has broad powers over over military, over foreign um, foreign diplomacy, over immigration, um, and states, in theory, <laughs> are supposed to have control over their internal economies and um, internal laws. Actually, criminal code. There wasn't any. I I was reading a history book. There weren't federal police. There wasn't a federal law enforcement um, force until like the 1910s. So for the first hundred and uh, first hundred and forty years, hundred and thirty years of the American system, um, the federal government didn't really have any law enforcement. I, I think they had some marshals, but 
Um, so how, how, what's the interaction between state-level um, police and, and, and federal police? That's a, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how it works in practice. So a lot of, I think, historically, basically all, all crime has been prosecuted by um, state police with a few exceptions of, like, counterfeiting um, and, a, and a few other things, treason, some things like that. But um, in the when was it nineteen tens I think they how how old's the FBI now? Is it only in the nineteen thirties maybe? They created the Federal Bureau Bureau of Investigation, which is kind of it. it that's um, basically the um, federal government police force. Right. Um, yeah. But most of what they do is investigate crimes after it happens. Uh, right, they, right. they, I mean, I think they also do a lot of counterterrorism now in the in the modern era. But um, so a lot of, I think, what the national police force does is coordinate with local police forces. With, with um, so the, and it, and it gets even more layered because each state has a state police force. You off in Iowa, they're called the state troopers. Yeah, um, the counties have their own police force. They're mm-hmm. the sheriffs. Right. And so Iowa has 99 counties, so we've got 99 sheriffs with and bigger counties have deputies that work with sheriffs and um and then cities have their own police forces. Cities, cities right. right. So cities, cities don't have sheriffs. sheriffs. Cities don't have sheriffs. Cities have police officers. Right. Right. And so the and so and the sheriffs are elected by the county residents and right, right, the city's police forces are hired by the city so it it we've got kind of a we've got a very complicated police system with a lot of you get so you you can have you know three or four different different police forces operating in the same spot yeah. So, so what about the interaction between the county police forces and the state police force? Is there a sort of does the state police have like authority over the county police? You know, I'm really not. I I don't think I can go into that level of detail. Um, the state government has authority over counties and cities, although I think it probably looks different in different states <laughs> because I because every state constitution is a little different. Um, but yeah that's a that's a good question I don't I I don't really know so I think yeah I don't know yep yeah Yeah, it's it's a scientist I mean I'm always I'm always like I get into a sort of mental state where I'm it's like inception I want I keep drilling down to like (laughs) find out more and more of a subject I'm interested in that's why that's why I'm doing it that's why it makes this podcast so fun you know yeah no well and it's something I didn't realize that America was so different until the first time I went overseas, and uh, and I realized I was in Turkey. This is the first time I left the country, and um, realizing that you know they have a national police force, and that all of the police everywhere is is coming from the from the national government, and it really kind of puts things. Um, I think I think it explains some of the differences you see in how people in America respond to police, uh, because. 
you have you know complaints in, in especially in the cities and in poor neighborhoods you have a lot of complaints about police officers and then in, if you go into the rural areas for the most part everyone everyone likes their their police uh, you know every the people people like the police um yeah and you know i wonder how much that comes from in the rural areas the cops that you see are the ones that you elect so you know i yeah. i grew up in rural iowa we elect our sheriff so and he's in charge of most of the cops that we'd run into um, in the I cities, it gets in. Yeah, that'd be so, so much, much fun. fun. Yeah, that's it's it, you know it's interesting. We have we have basically police forces here. Like here we have in London, we have Metropolitan Police. Up in Scotland, where I'm from, we have this sort of. I think it's South Lanarkshire Police. I actually don't know what it's called, <laughs> but uh, I think having sheriffs is like. It's like you own. It's like, this is my sheriff. You know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you don't. Hopefully, you don't interact with them too much, right? But, but yeah, you know, it's it's good. Yeah. So, going back to your role as a, as policy liaison, what does that actually mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a it's a good question. I I you know I kind of wear a few different hats, um, and and kind of. Uh, do what needs to be done as it as it goes. So I do a lot of policy research and and digging into, um, you know where where do we stand on this issue, um, as well as after we've developed a position, um, digging into arguments and and um, and uh, where that position comes from, how how some nuances in it, arguments that you can use for or against. And preparation for that. Um, I also do a little bit of lobbying at the Iowa Capitol, and um, I'll testify sometimes on some of our issues, as well as I, I monitor legislation. So, um, man, what's the number? So, we're registered on, I think, probably 70 or 80 individual bills right now, which means that we've we've taken a position on them. Um, even if that position is undecided, as an organization, we've said we're either for or against, or we're we're just monitoring this bill. So we've got yeah. 70 or 80 of those, and there's been uh, maybe 2,000 bills introduced this year and last year um, in at the Iowa Capitol. So 2,000 different ideas um, of laws, and so I try to I, I keep up with all of those and make sure that there aren't any ideas that. Uh, I make sure that if there are, is, a, is a bill um, that we should be interested in, that uh, that we're monitoring it and are interest and are following it. Yeah, I, I remember going to along to uh, a meeting with some of you guys, and it was the the purpose of this meeting was to visit the, the capital to talk about a, a new bill, and um, the bill. Well, there was an existing law that it was illegal to sell the parts of ab- aborted baby babies, and that was that was a law. But the bill was to revoke that bill, and that was there with you guys, and uh, we were like talking to like legislators or something like that. I don't actually know what happened in the end, but I got quite emotional because <laughs> I, I think I think it's absolutely a horrible idea, you know, like people making money from this kind of stuff. It's like what what have we become, you know? Yeah. No, I, it, it's very true, and uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that bill in particular, but uh, but it didn't pass, whatever it was, because we still, in Iowa, it's still illegal to sell uh, aborted baby body parts. But 
yeah, you see, you know, that's, when you're talking about a bill, you're talking about something that can make your state and the people who live in your state, you're talking about something that can make people's lives better or worse, you know? And that's, um, it can be easy to get cynical about politics, but, but politics is trying, I, I think politics is trying to do, um, the best job you can governing a society with what you have and it's complicated and it's messy and but if you do it badly people suffer and in some cases like that bill you know babies suffer yeah so what's what sort of percentage of bills make it through well what who actually votes on the bill like we have the house of lords who does the passing of bills over there so yeah so it's well the bills are passed by the house of representatives and um, the Senate, and so it's it's very it's pretty similar in theory at least between um, Iowa and the U.S. government. So um, at the at the federal level, the the national level, um, the House of Representatives, a, a representative or a senator can introduce a bill. And um, sometimes several will get together to introduce a bill at the same time. They'll, they'll all say, I really like this idea, let's do it together. Um, and it, it starts in one chamber, so it starts in either the House or the Senate, and once it's passed by that chamber, then it goes to the other chamber. And it starts the process over, moves through, and then if it pass, if the same bill, worded exactly the same way, passes both the House of Representatives and the Senate, then the president si- has to sign it. And if all of right. that happens, then it becomes a law. Right. right. A law, law in, in the state, state or federal? federal? Um, that example was at, for the federal level. At Iowa, um, it has to pass the Iowa House of Representatives, and then the Iowa Senate, and then the Iowa governor has to sign it. And then it becomes a law. And can, and can that law, law ever, ever become, become federal? federal? Not from Iowa. Nope. Right. So I, Iowa, Iowa can pass resolutions asking the feds to do something, but it mostly that's mostly a waste of time. I mean, no, I mean, you know, it, it's a statement. If a bunch of states do it, then um, you know maybe people will listen. But there, there is so there is one thing. Um, if two-thirds of the states of the United States, so if um, two-thirds of the, of the states in the U.S. pass a constitutional amendment, then um, that can affect the federal level. But it requires a lot of people passing it. How, how, how often, often is the Constitution changed, changed in America? America? Uh, Sorry about this, but it's history. Trying to, are we on... Are we on 29 or 30 some amendments now? I'm looking around for my for a copy of the Constitution. What <laughs> uh, do I got over here? People are going to be afraid to come on my podcast with these questions. <laughs> no, I don't have any, I don't have easy access to one off the top of my head. I think. Well, I'm trying to remember when the. I don't remember. The last constitutional amendment in the U.S. must have been. Man, 1970s maybe? I don't know. 
Don't ask me. I don't even, I don't even know when the English Constitution is getting amended. Yeah. So it, it happens. It's not. It doesn't happen a lot. Um, we're on, you know, whatever we're whatever we're on twenty nine or thirty something over yeah. the course of uh, you know two hundred years. So two hundred and fifty years now almost. Uh-huh. So would you say that all bills are based on interpretations of the Constitution? No, no, they're based on well. So bills, laws in the U.S. have to not conflict with the Constitution. Right. right. If a law conflicts with the Constitution, then in theory, and sometimes and sometimes in practice, a court will rule the law unconstitutional, and then it's no longer a law. So would you say that all law, all bills have to be, um implied powers of the constitution um maybe all bills all laws in the u.s um can't conflict with the constitution and sometimes yeah there's some i think there's some debate over that so there's some debate i read i read last night that the first bank of america was like not explicitly granted in the Constitution, but it was an applied power because the government was responsible for taxes and welfare and all this kind of stuff. So, um. so yeah, there's there's debate over whether um, whether the federal government has powers that weren't explicitly granted to it in the Constitution. So when right. when the Bank of America, the first one, was adopted. By, um, I believe, by Washington, uh, there was debate over whether that was constitutional. Eventually, James Madison abolished it um, in eighteen eleven or something, um, and then he got into the War of eighteen twelve and he reestablished the bank, the, <laughs> the National Bank, and then uh, Andrew Jackson abolished the National Bank. And I'm not sure, the Federal Reserve was instituted, um, I think, by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the the 30s, maybe. So I'm not sure exactly, there's a a period in in American history where I'm not sure what exactly our national bank system was. I think after Martin Van Buren in the 1840s, we reestablished it. But yeah, it's been an old, and and there are lots of people, um, there are... You know, it's not a common view in American politics, but it is. There are people who who argue that the Federal Reserve um, is unconstitutional. I think the Federal Reserve, for me anyway, and and maybe I maybe I speak on behalf of my listeners, the fact that's one of the most confusing things ever invented. To me, I like. Yep. No, I I couldn't explain it to you. <laughs> so, because I don't, I don't know that much about it anyway. It actually, the only people who seem to know much about the Federal Reserve in America are the people who want to abolish it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, I, don't, I like when America borrows money from the Fed. Who are they borrowing money from exactly? Because you print, you just print the money, right? We use bonds and things too. Um, sometimes it's other government agencies. So, like, I think Social Security, the American Social Security system, which is, it, it's like a retirement system. When you, when you retire, you pay money to the government 
and then the government will, once you retire, the government pays you money back. Um, I think Social Security owns a whole bunch of American debt. Um, foreign governments own some American debt. Um, it's a, There are private investors who own American debt. Um, but yeah, it's it's complicated, and uh, and I can't pretend I understand it. Yeah, you almost need a degree in economics to understand this kind of stuff, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, you know, I I think it's also hard to understand because it's, it's it's large, um, and when you say who owns American debt, there's not one answer you know it's it's a lot of different people yeah. and and i think even even the term debt can mean different things you know so like is you know it is it's like a, it's a tough question is it debt if it's owed if the american government owns owes money to the american government you know is that debt i, I, I thought i thought i thought the debt owed to the federal reserve was private debt private individuals or banks or stuff like that um some of it's private yeah so um going back as you can see i sort of like pick a topic go down go back go down a topic it's just the way it's just the way i i work so when you say you were legislating against ushery uh usury yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> my French stations aren't the best. I mean, yeah. No, that's my my, 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 my fault. My fault. <laughs> I still find spelling really hard sometimes. Usury. So. So you you have a banking system. Obviously, they align they align uh, they align. Are you basically against predatory lending? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So, so what would that, that, what would that, that be, be like? Twenty percent a year? Fifty percent a year? Yeah. No, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if there is. Um, a specific number for that, and, and I think it probably looks different depending on the context. Um, in this yeah, yeah. particular context, we've we've opposed payday lending, which is a a form of lending um, where you there's there's different ways to do it, but one of the more common ways is you go borrow uh, 500 bucks from somebody and you write them a check for 600 bucks over two weeks, um, and you're right. talking and you're that's you. The the legislation in particular that we've opposed the last few years has been something like two thousand percent APR, something absolutely absurd. Um, right. And uh, um, and in our ex- it, it, research has shown that people who take out these kind of small what what people would call small loans, oh you know they just need it once to cover their rent well they'd end up taking it out 12 times a year or even 24 times a year which is actually um the federal the i believe it's i believe it's federal law um that it prohibits these types of it prohibits companies from offering someone this type of loan more than once every two weeks so um there's already like for example credit cards in america aren't allowed to charge more than 36% APR. Um, so maybe that's, that's really, really bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah, it is, right? Like, I mean, imagine taking a house loan on 36% APR. You just, I mean, you just never pay it off. You'd go bankrupt. Um, so, 
you know, we, we kind of, I think generally in America, 36% has become a standard. Um, above 36% is, is um, predatory and, and under it is okay. Now there's, you know, where does that standard come from exactly? Well, there's, there's a lot of debate and disagreement over what exactly that number should be. And I don't, I don't have a position. You want to borrow? Oh, go ahead. So in, in the UK, if you want to like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't exactly know what the interest rate is right now. Maybe it's half percent, half percent, between half percent and one percent. If you want to borrow some money for for business purposes, a lot of these small brokers will be charging you like fourteen percent or twenty four percent a year interest. So, but how can they make that jump from like half percent to like twenty, like fifteen percent? It's like create, you know, like something alright about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's you know it's something that's talked about in in the Old and New Testament, um, and uh, actually the Christian Church historically has has long opposed usury and and uh, fought against it. So we're you know I'm, I've been excited to um, when we get to work on that issue, and we get to work on that issue with um, sometimes unlikely allies, people who have opposed who we've we've. Um, disagreed with on issues in the past, and so it's always exciting when you can find an issue like that where you can you can work with people you don't normally get to. So, if if you were to stop usury or significantly reduce it, and how the thing is, how would the banks pay their staff and their wages? You know, dividends. That's that's you know, maybe maybe banks banks are too big. Maybe I think there's. You know, you look at like the American financial crisis, and what happened in the American financial crisis. I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert on this. This isn't something that, but, but kind of common, you know, common, um, the common story, it is, uh, we had a number of banks offering um, loans to people they knew couldn't pay it back, without being concerned that these people couldn't pay back the loans um, and making promises. and um, So I think that's... It's not about whether a bank can get 5% you know, interest or, or 7% interest on a, on a uh, you know, student loan or house loan. You know, that's, that's money and that's real money over the long term. But we're talking about you know, banks um, going to poor people and uh, people who don't have steady income um, and saying, "Look, we'll give you a give you a loan for a two hundred thousand dollar house," and I mean, that's you're putting a burden on someone that they're never going to be able to going to be able to pay back. Yeah, yeah. and that's you know we've that we've had problems with that in the U.S. in the past. And that's that's not. I'm not saying that 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 particular issue is one that um, the family leaders um, been involved in. But I think that's that's the sort of thing we're talking about when we're talking about usury. It, it's especially right, right. when it's, it's preying on um, poor people who are desperate. Who you know, when you're desperate, taking out a loan that has a, a terrible interest rate. Um, might seem like the best option is just going to put you deeper under. Yeah. I guess the, the, the banks never saw that en masse so many subprime 
lendees would uh, would fail at once. That's what's what caused, and ultimately the taxpayer bailed them out. But yeah, yep, yep, they're welcome, I guess. <laughs> so you guys are very active in in Iowa uh, on the bills there. Or do you do you get involved with bills outside of your state? Uh, not so much. Um, you know, we'll weigh in on federal issues sometimes, um, but we're we're primarily a state organization and and focused on the state of Iowa. And um, you know, we're we're part of a network that can works with organizations like ours in other states. Um, right. right. And we're excited to do that. And you know, we we take a lot of ideas and a lot of advice um, and a lot of feedback from other states. Um, but we, there are other organizations who are, um, their job is to work with federal policy. Um, ours is to work with state policy, with Iowa policy. Yeah, it's really encouraging to see what you guys do. You must, you must have such a large salt and light effect in, on that state. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it is encouraging, um, especially, um, so we've been, Developing, I, I've re- mentioned a couple times the church network, and that's that's a new thing to us. It's not; it's about four or five years old, maybe, maybe six now, um, to our organization, and it's it's I think kind of new in the nation. Um, it, it's starting to grow in other states. Um, we're seeing it develop in about fifteen other states right now. Is that the right number? About ten other states right now, I think. Um, and what what we're and what that is basically is it's a church-based approach to working with legislators where it's not about um, it's not about party it's not even about policy uh, at least not not first about policy it's it's primarily about um, about faith about um, your spiritual well-being and about salvation um, and so, it, you know, that's a, we also do policy. So I, I do policy and I'm not part of the church network, but it's, it's really encouraging that the church network is there to care for legislators and, and elected officials and to build bridges between churches and elected officials in nonpartisan, uh, ways, the, you know, um, pastors, and elected officials, and, and well, and not just elected officials, pastors and political leaders share a lot of the same burdens. You know, when um, not not in their responsibility, but in um, when something's bad in a community, <laughs> you know, there's there's um, two people you know who are going to uh, be dealing with that, and then those are pastors and those are are um, political leaders. If there's a drug crisis in a community, um, that's going to be present in the church. And if there's, uh, but it's also going to be something that um, a government has to wrestle with. And so, see, uh, for the church network to start building those connections, um, I, I think it's very encouraging. So, are you, are you guys like a, a sort of like a catalyst for churches that are maybe sitting by? Not really engaged with, uh, you know, legislation, legislators and bills and that. They kind of trying to help them get more involved in politics. Is that what you're saying? No, I I don't see it. It's not about being more involved in politics. Um, although 
you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say some churches should be more involved in politics and some should be less involved in politics. <laughs> it, it's, there, there, there are some who do it very wrong. All right. And, and, um, um, you know, I, so we think Christians and I, I think Christians, um, especially in America, we have a unique responsibility, a, a unique gift, um, to vote. We vote for our elected officials and there and those elected officials pass legislation and that's that is a a unique responsibility that most people in most countries at most times have not had um and i we believe as christians we should use that gift responsibly um and vote for good leaders um, who will pass good policy um churches are not called to run countries or to um, make laws, but they are called to um, share the gospel and to um, aid communities. And Christ says, you know, caring for widows and orphans is true religion. Um, And so what I think what the church network is doing is um, helping churches care for widows and orphans and, and, and for their communities. So, um, you know, their foster care, is that a, does that meet, does that term? Yeah. 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 Looking, yeah. After, looking after, after uh, vulnerable teenagers, teenagers children. children. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that, you have a foster care system in, in the UK? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah we have that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Uh, so like there's a, there's a church, there's a county, um, just North of here, about a half hour North called, um, uh, Story County, and 70% of the kids that go through foster care in Story County um, go through one church. There's there's one church, and and they have tons of people. Yeah, and that's it's a pretty decent sized county too. So there's there's one church in that county that cares for the majority of foster kids through their their. Who was kidding for? Who was kidding for them before? Well, it's um. I, I mean, the church is... I'm not sure how long the church has been doing it. But... Right. Um, but so that's... When there's an issue with a foster care system, um, the pastor of that church and, and members from that church have knowledge about how to help with that system. Um, and it's, it's not that, um, you know, they have a law that they think can be passed, but if, if a legislator says wow, there's problems with the foster care system, and in Iowa there are problems with the foster care system, um, we have a resource that we can look to who can help. And and um, it's a, a pastor just about a half hour north of here who knows a lot about foster care because m- many of his, the members of his congregation are very actively engaged in it. Okay. okay. Cool. So... Um What's what's next on the uh, the family leader calendar? Yeah, well, the very next thing is um, there's let's see what do we got? There's a subcommittee Monday uh, Monday afternoon at four um, that I'm going to be testifying at on um, uh, curriculum and um, sexual orientation and gender identity uh, language in um, or sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, teaching in Iowa schools curriculum curricula 
Um, that's the very next thing. Um, but we have a uh, meeting on March 21st. We're going to have um, Joel Rosenberg, who's a prominent author. Um, he's an American living in Israel. Um, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo are going to be um, at an event. The, the United States Secretary of State going to be at an event that we're hosting um, in oh, March. Uh, yeah, if you're looking to come back, that'd be a good time. Uh, we've got a summit in July. Um, we've got a whole lot of legislative session left. So the main thing we're working on this legislative session is a constitutional amendment um, that it corrects a, a really bad court decision um, that the Iowa Supreme Court, so the, the highest court in Iowa, um, ruled that there's a uh, right to abortion in the Iowa Constitution. And what that means is um, any law that interferes with abortion in, in Iowa um, is probably unconstitutional now. Um, so we've got, we've got, uh, for example, <laughs> so Iowa jurisprudence, American jurisprudence is complicated, but, um, but we've got a constitutional amendment that would correct, um, what five judges did in, to Iowa a couple years back. So we're, that's, that's the biggest next thing on my mind. Nice. We'll definitely have to, uh, catch up with you or even another, or another person family there after those events and uh, who knows I mean I, I'm looking for an opportunity to go to uh, well actually Manhattan to do some, some work there but uh, if I do manage to go over at that time uh, it would be nice to swing by but I'm I'm not really I'm not, I'm, I mean who knows what can happen but it would certainly be fun, fun. yeah, <laughs> yeah well, hey presidential elections are coming up in November it would be a good time to come and observe it would, it would be fantastic, fantastic yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Cool. So uh, I I think this is the start of something um, between uh, myself and you guys. I'd like to get you guys guys on again because I'm very interested, especially with this potential trade deal. You know, US UK relations. Um, hopefully, will um, hopefully won't be arguing about things like Huawei. You know, that's just you know. Hopefully, Boris and Trump will. You know, put that put that beside, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't get personal about it. I just, I really hope. I mean, but who, but who knows? knows you know? <laughs> yeah, <It's laughs> these kind of nice. things. So. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for having me on, Nikos. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay, okay Daniel. Daniel. That, that was Daniel, Daniel Sunny, Paul's liaison at the Family Leader, and uh, we'll leave a link to the show notes on uh, that, that website. And um, thank you, my listener, for joining us on Influencers Cafe. We'll see you again shortly. Bye-bye.